following episode of Knights of Nitro is brought to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe to PWOM now to enjoy other fine podcasts talking wrestling of the past, the present, and much, much more. Let's start the show. So, said it. Be careful what you wish for, because now you have it. Oh, what a goof. What a goof. You know... I get accused of getting racked in the head a few times and having a little touch of Alzheimer's. My God, I almost forgot the fourth horseman. Ric Flair, go down here. Here we go. special edition Knights of Nitro special from your friends here at Days of Thunder. It's me, your usual host Dave Ryan, and I'm joined, as I always am, by Stagger Lee Malone. Lee, how are you? I'm doing good, pal. Good to hear you on a, a particularly calm Friday night. Yeah, and it's it's cool. Like I'm feeling the vibes of calmness, so it's good that we're doing like we we've we've stepped off Thunder Road for a while, and we don't have to do our big formal introductions as usual. Uh, we're just laid back. We're we're crossing over to the red brand for the uh, only our second time uh, since we started the podcast. Um, so it, yeah, I'm, is it only the second time? Yeah, so we did the the Georgia Dome, uh, and that was the only the only proper Nitro show we've done. Uh, so far I know because it feels like Thunder is half Nitro clip sometimes that could be it that could be why I think I've yeah. seen a lot of Nitro yeah we've got a couple coming up here now in the next like month or six weeks of podcasts but um, yeah it's only our, our second ever edition of Knights of Nitro but look before we, we get into all that uh, Lee off air you were telling me uh, we have an update you have gotten to the end of your run your your MCU watch along um, where did we we last left you right before Infinity War I believe was it Infinity War or was it was it Ant-Man and the Wasp I can't remember where, oh. where exactly we left off do you know what I, I think we may have talked about Infinity War because I think we talked about Peter Dinklage didn't we being like yes we did looking we really did. out of place yes. in that film yes <laughs> yeah um, but yeah um, God I, I mean it took me a while to get through because obviously I took a big break in the middle or Halfway, well, over halfway through the shows, I took a big break, but um, yeah, it was right around uh, Ragnarok that you took a break. I yes, think, was it? I think Ragnarok yeah. was where I jumped back in, and yeah. you had been waiting for me to do it. Yeah, and God, like Jesus, I, th- I think I said to you off here, it's the first movie I'll go back and rewatch. Mm. Will be Ragnarok and then Infinity yeah. War because yeah. that one two combination, it's something else, isn't oh, it? Oh my God, like. Th- the, the characters in, in uh, Ragnarok, like Korg is my fucking hero. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then the way he shows up in um, Endgame. Yeah. Like, oh, ch- chilling out playing Fortnite. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> just what, what a character. I just absolutely loved him. Um, but God, like, uh, 
the end shot of Infinity War just stuck with mm. me so much throughout the rest, like whatever movies were left after that. Yeah. Um, it proper had you rattled, didn't oh, it? Oh, it pretty did. Yeah. And it was just a case of, I just like, when he clicks his fingers and then he, like the next scene is him just on this planet and he just walks out and sits down and watches the sunrise. I was just like, oh, yeah. chills. Fucking absolute chills. Yeah, the moment where uh, Cap does the, oh God, because he realises he won. Mm-hmm. Uh, chilling, yeah. But um, what did you make of Endgame? You finally got to like, I think it's 22 movies to get you to the Endgame. And I, I from texting you as you were watching it, it feels like it was a similar near religious experience like it was for the rest of us watching it in the cinemas a year and a half ago I think I, I think I sent you a message 40 minutes in going I don't know how I'm going to get through this because I was already a wreck yeah <laughs> and oh god just like wasn't ready at all for like obviously I'd heard spoilers and whatever but god I wasn't ready for uh, for Tony Stark to die yeah Jesus. Uh, it, it was such a moment and like I remember seeing that in the cinema and like it was great it was one of those crowds that people were cheering and whooping and like it was a great kind of communal experience mm-hmm. but when when the moment happens with Tony at the end like silence and people like my, my buddy beside me was sobbing like oh, it was only for the fact that Connor was watching with me like and he had tears in his eyes like he was proper crying because yeah you know, death and being a child and that. But like, yeah. I, I was wiping tears out of my eyes as I was explaining to him, like, you know, death in movies is fine and, yeah. you know, it's okay to cry and all this. But, um, yeah. God, wasn't ready for that. And then, like, a little thing, just a, a little nugget that I loved is when um, the daughter and, oh, what's his name? The, the, the driver? Happy. Yeah, are sitting on the porch and he just turns around and says, What do you want? And she goes, I'd love a cheeseburger. <laughs> yeah. And just that call back to the first Iron Man movie. Of yeah. the first thing Tony Stark asks for when he gets off the plane is cheeseburgers. Yeah. And I just thought, yeah, you nailed it. Fucking nailed it. It, it really, they brought the whole thing full circle. There was so much, um, there, there was so much fan service and so much that paid off if mm-hmm. you'd watch. And it probably paid off even better for you because they were such recent memories, yeah. those movies for you, as opposed to people who like, you think about that first Avengers movie came out in 2012. So the last Avengers movie is 2019. So seven years just between the first and last mm-hmm. Avengers movies, let alone the first Iron Man was 2008. You know what I mean? Amazing to think about. Like, yeah. But, um, I think the other part that really stuck with me was yeah. when Cap goes back in time. Oh, and yeah, then, back and to then, Peggy. And then he misses his his comeback point, and like they're all a bit lost. And I was not ready for old man cap. Yeah, ah, uh, it was. Yeah, it's just it. It's like, uh, and I remember there's so there's so many great moments like Cap getting his perfect ending, but mm-hmm. also when Cap picks up the hammer, like I came out of my chair in the cinema. I was telling you that, <laughs> like I just that being like they laid that seed since yeah. the 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 since Age of Ultron. And like when he did it, and Thor's reaction of like I knew it. Yes. it was just it was so good. It was like yeah. almost vindication for everybody. <laughs> yeah, ah uh, no, uh, just a, a sensational movie. And did you get to um, the Spider Man Far From Home yet? The the only one that's come out since then. I haven't, but 
that will be the next thing I watch, and I'll be yeah. fully prepared for whatever's next. I believe next the next um, what do they call it? The next um, it's not season. It's the next phase. Phase. So that's yeah. the word I was forget. Um, the next phase I believe is like TV shows and movies, isn't it? On Disney Plus. Yeah. So there's a couple of they're they're doing a a Winter Soldier and Falcon show. They're doing a Vision and Scarlet Witch show. A Loki show. And there's there's a couple I'm forgetting probably, and then the Black Widow movie is out. It was supposed to have been out by now before COVID happened, mm. um. So that's been delayed. Um. Oh, that, and that, then, that, that was the other thing. Um. Yeah. Nat and uh, Hawkeye. Oh yeah. Oh, just incredible. Yeah. Again, not at all prepared for how these people met their end. Like it's just. Mm. So I'm I'm dying to see the the Black Widow backstory. As somebody who's not into the comics, I know you were kind of, you're you're very familiar with the kind of backstories and stuff like that. So yeah, too familiar, some might say. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I think you'll enjoy. I think Far From Home is a great kind of post End Game. Like you know, there's there's a bit of continuation from Endgame because there has to be it was such a mm-hmm. universe altering event but it's also its own self-contained adventure that's a bit of a palate cleanser um, so I think it's nice and enjoyable and I think you'll enjoy Jake Gyllenhaal in it um, he's very good which like, I, he's very good in everything but he's very good in that which I have to say like the um, the Ant-Man movies and Captain Marvel being positioned as they were in the, mm. the series of movies I didn't understand yeah until I watched them Mm-hmm. And I realized, right, they're there to not only establish who these people are for the for Endgame ultimately, yeah, yeah, but also to kind of take you down a little bit and just say, okay, get a breath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and really, really crucial, especially when you're watching them like you are, where it's back to back to back. Mm-hmm. Like if you had gone from Infinity War straight into uh, Endgame, you would have been in bits, yeah, and you still were, but like it would have been much worse. Um. Moving on slightly, uh, we have one question that came in. We we put out a call like, oh, look, if you want to ask us one question, uh, wrestling related or not, uh, send it in. Uh, so we will briefly go to this one. We got a question in from... Uh, <laughs> just just know, to be fun. <laughs> long-time listener, uh, Cody Sandusky, who says, uh, what is your recommendation concerning football fandom for a follower of West Ham United? Should I just give up watching the sport already or find a club that can comp- uh, competently play the sport regularly? Do you want to give us a follow-up tweet as well? Uh, yeah. Uh, so he says, uh, full disclosure, my British RA in college told me to pick a club based upon their kit. Uh, West Ham United has a great kit. I, I won't dispute that. The Claret and Blue. Uh Great nickname, the Hammers, uh, anthem in uh, Forever Blowing Bubbles, and my sports fandom skews towards teams that are underdog or so bad I could be on the bandwagon from the jump. I'm a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> Which I appreciate that that um, that disclaimer there. Um, right, uh, we'll for the non-football fans, we'll address this much more briefly than we addressed the, the cinematic, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe offerings um, earlier, but. Um, suffice to say, uh, our disclaimer at the top is that we're both Manchester United fans. So, so ultimately, our response will always be West Ham can go and shy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We do have um, we 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 do have uh, a strong dislike feelings towards them. Yeah. Um, at the moment, I would say Cody that that uh, 
West Ham definitely fulfil the the underdog thing in as much as they they will only be expected to really barely survive seasons in the top flight at the moment uh, and avoid relegation. They kind of just, by virtue of the fact that there just happened to be three or four teams worse than them this season, they managed to escape relegation, not through any great play of their own. Um, they do have a good history, I will say, you know, trying to stay unbiased for a second. Well, you know, I mean, a lot they, of... they did win the World Cup in 1966, <laughs> if you listen to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they'll tell you that they won the World Cup for England. Um. They do have like a long history of, of producing uh, talent out of their academy that go on to succeed. In other places. Uh, in other places, <laughs> generally speaking, yeah. Um, current Chelsea manager, uh, Frank Lampard being one that, that springs to mind. Um, but yeah, I, like if I were to give you a kind of like exciting, uh, slightly underdoggy team, but one that you can actually root for to be competitive, to be going for something, to either have a good run in a cup uh, or to finish in those coveted top four spaces. Uh, before I turn over to Lee, I, I think uh, my team uh, that I would pick for you is is maybe Wolves. Yeah, that I was actually going to suggest something very similar because Wolves, I, I've always liked Wolves, full disclaimer. Like, um, mm. I think I got a Wolves jersey when I was like seven or eight off it, like a distant yeah. cousin in the UK. Mm. And obviously being a kid since then, I've always kind of, not supported wolves, but kind of being fond of them, and yeah, you know, and they they have they have links to um they've had Irish players through the doors and a couple of Irish managers as well in the past. So mm-hmm. you know you'll find in Ireland um there'll be like a vein of people who support or have fond feelings for a certain club because they have a history of Irish players going through. Well, we all supported Sunderland for what two years when uh, Roy Keane was manager and yeah, they fucking they had uh, half the Irish team in their first eleven. Uh, and I'll tell you one thing, Cody. You're, you've done better than Sunderland anyway by picking <laughs> West Ham. Like, do you know what? Do you know what? I'd love, I'd love a West Ham documentary. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Wolves are one of the up and up. Now, I I don't think like it, to me the orange kit has never been as appealing as like I think the claret and blue is very pleasant on the eye mm. uh, compared to the luminous orange. Do- but I think in terms of like a style of football to watch. If I was just starting from scratch, they'd be one of the teams I'd definitely pick. Um, I know our North of England football club bias would tell us not to say this team, but I think Leeds are a very exciting prospect in the Premier League coming up with the style of football they play. Oh, well, well, look, I, I've taught my seven-year-old son to be happy that Leeds came up so they can get relegated again. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, they... Wolves are the ones that stand out to me by a mile because mm. I think they're, they we're going through a weird time in the Premier League where there's like a clump of six or seven clubs and then there's like a lot of detritus in the middle where everybody's kind of in no man's land and then there's the clubs that are genuine shite at the, <laughs> at the bottom, like the bottom four or five where like two, one or two escape just by virtue of being less shite. Um, so of the ones that actually have a shot at competing for stuff in the near future, Wolves is probably the one for you. Um, but look, if you're committed to West Ham, um, best of luck. <laughs> <laughs> they'll always have 1966. That's They'll always have 1966. They'll always have a decent combination of colours on the kit. Um and short of that, I wouldn't. Let's just, without getting too far into it, let's just say that their um, their owners have been nicknamed the Dildo Brothers in the past, and it's not uh, it's not entirely uh, inaccurate. Yeah, uh, you know, I wouldn't fucking argue with anyone calling them that. So, 
Um, and, yeah, and, well, and, don't, and don't forget they also have Baroness Brady who's uh, talks way too much sometimes yeah uh, from one uh, large badly run organisation to another world championship wrestling we're to talk about um, this is uh, as we said our second edition of Knights of Nitro uh, this Nitro uh, dated September 14th 1998 coming to you from Greenville South Carolina this is the famous night of the Horseman reunion uh, and Lee just up top um, how were you feeling coming into the show were you excited to get back to Nitro even no. though they are three hour shows no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's a three-hour show. Mm. I mean, like maybe it's raw, born out, but like I don't want to watch wrestling, like a TV show for three hours. A pay per view, absolutely. A New Japan show, fine, no problem. Yeah, but like a three-hour TV show, it's too much. Yeah, it was too um, much in nineteen ninety-eight, and it's too much in twenty twenty. I think, especially during this time where it's like the crash TV style. Mm-hmm. Um, as as is famously described, where it just it it feels exhausting because everything is going a million miles an hour, and even when stuff is shite, you still have to keep watching because it's like you blink and it's on another segment, and the next segment might be one you're actually interested in. You know what I mean? There's no, and especially for us, we're actually reviewing the show and writing about it. We we just can't switch off. Like I imagine if this is 1998. And um, this show is on and it's like uh, there's a bad match and it leads into a Nitro Girl segment. I'm going off to make myself a snack or something like that while that's happening in the background. But here I'm stuck laptop on lap typing away. I'm using the Nitro Girl segments to like catch up on on stuff um, so I don't have to rewind to another match that I hadn't finished writing about. Um, so yeah, now I will say, as I said to you off the air, I don't think this was the, the worst Nitro in the world and I think there have been significantly worse thunders in the 30 or so we've covered uh, than this Nitro. But but as you say, like I, I don't think... I, I think you easily could have done all the important things on this show inside of two hours quite handily. Oh, easily. There was a lot of... Look, we'll get to it as we get to it, but like there was a lot of stuff that had no place on this show. And mm. I can't imagine how. Well, I think Raw had Raw won, won back the ratings already at this point, late ninety eight. Yeah, yeah. So the yeah, because the Goldberg Championship win was that came off the back of Raw kicking their ass. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's easy to see like watching this why other people would have been switching over to the other side. Hmm. Sorry, there. Now as I, I take a sip of my beer. Oh, um, we never mentioned our beers, actually. Oh, yeah. You see, I'm so used to it, it being Nights of Nitro that we're just not in our, our regular routine. Uh, what do you got to drink this week, pal? I am on a O'Hara's Brewing Company. It's uh, O'Hara's 54 State IPA. I think it's Ooh. something either I've had before or you have had before on the show. Um, I, I'm not sure if I ha- I've had an O'Hara's, but I'm not sure which one I've had on the show. Uh, I've had that particular one at a wedding reception of all things. It's I was quite at nice. a wedding. Yeah, I was at a wedding reception last year where it was like the first time I'd ever seen it done where you had the option of the usual champagne at the reception or mm. you could have a beer. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, they had just buckets of craft beers and they, they would ask you which one you wanted. And I was like, great, because I'm not a champagne guy. Yeah. So that worked out very well for me. So yeah, it's, it's a nice one, isn't it? Well, I had whiskey instead of champagne at my wedding, so... Oh, good man, good man. I think uh, I think you're going to enjoy the the day the, the day in the future where my wedding comes because I will be thinking in a similar vein, sir. Oh, actually, this 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 day week, this coming uh, Friday, I will be doing a a whiskey tasting at home on a Zoom Ooh. call. Oh, so uh, the the thing is, they send out these little kind of samples or tasters, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. And basically, they do a Zoom call, and as they're talking about them, you taste them, and it's kind of like doing a you know like a tour in a whiskey and a a brewery, in a distillery, yeah. <laughs> a distillery. That's yeah. Fucking, it's Friday night. I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> in a distillery, and you know you get all the, the tasters at the end and stuff like yeah. that. So, um, yeah. So looking forward to that. It's uh, mm. I think it was my mom that got that for me. So, oh, that's that's a really cool gift. Mm. Um. I was actually only thinking that when our group of friends uh, get back together after the end of this, we were thinking about things we could do that don't fucking involve wrestling. <laughs> um, and one of the things I was thinking is going to the Jemison Distillery because I've been there a couple of times and done the tour and it's fucking brilliant. The one I want to do, I haven't done Jemison yet and I haven't done Teelings. Oh, I was, that's, I was at a wedding it, that was in the Teelings Distillery and it was great. Yeah, I they, can imagine they, it was. They had an open bar with Teelings cocktails and it was lethal. Do you remember that night? Uh, <laughs> that that stalling will tell you. They had one of the cocktails tasted like you were drinking a warm apple pie. Oh. And it did not taste like there was any alcohol in it at all. But speaking of alcohol, uh, I've gone with an absolute classic on the show. And that's the Franciscan Well Rebel Red. Uh, it's a Friday night. It's relaxed. I didn't want something out of my mm-hmm. comfort zone. I just want uh, something nice and relaxing uh, to soothe the throat here as we uh, we, we talk nitro. Well, but I, it, I should say I did get the red ale also of the O'Hara's and I was I was tempted to kind of match it up for our special nights of nitro. But I said, no, I'll go for the IPA tonight. You'll enjoy that red ale when you do get around mm. to it. But um. Starting off, we get our call to open to Nitro, and it's the Nitro Girls dancing in ring. We're in the brand new Low High Arena, which uh, Larry Zabisco excitedly Damn. yells, buy low, sell high. Did, did you say Low High Arena or Buy Low Arena? Was it Buy Low? It was Buy Low. Oh, it was a Buy Low. <laughs> you see, Larry had me confused. <laughs> the Low High Arena. Yeah, Buy Low. I'm writing that in now in my notes just so that I don't uh, I don't make that mistake again. Um tonight so they're they're teasing tonight we have Goldberg versus Sting for the title which had irked us talking to the pay-per-view about how they just announced that 24 hours beforehand on a fucking pay-per-view um, they're going to be talking a lot about war games tonight and about how DDP won or as Larry uh, specified he survived oh, uh, fucking Larry on this show so yeah we have Tony and Larry on uh, commentary and I think the first time we did Nitro, because it was a little bit of a break from the norm, we kind of enjoyed Larry. Mm-hmm. But he was very overbearing on this show. Yes. And my God, did he play down DDP winning that match. Yeah. I mean, you, you want to be building up DDP winning that match. No. Yeah. All Larry says is he got lucky. Yeah. There, there were a couple of moments where Larry was tuned in and he was saying some good stuff and putting mm-hmm. the right people over. But yeah, there were moments like this where I felt like he was completely out to lunch and he was just kind of, I think as, if I recall, as people would have criticised him at the time, he was just out kind of to entertain himself. Yeah. Which and was, he, you know, right as good as, as, as Heenan is. 
Like no. whereas, whereas Heenan will entertain himself and others, yeah. Larry just seems to say shit for his own amusement. Yeah, uh, and like I suppose it is unfair in some ways to compare him to maybe the greatest color man in in the history of uh, the business, but. Uh, you know the comparison is there you know it it, kind of makes him look even worse when you have Heenan come in and like uh like even Heenan a couple of years from now when he is fucking checked out completely is still 10 times the commentator yeah Yeah. um but uh yeah Tanae is currently out the back getting the scoops (laughs) as as Larry takes his bow crowd still popping huge for him in fairness uh tony says there are rumors abound that the horsemen are backstage and will reform tonight as we hear the loud we want flare chants rattling throughout the building uh mike today is now standing by he says so we go back to mike today jogging around an airport <laughs> this is great like this is right the mike today super sleuth was out again here well, hang on, but, but, but before you get to the scoop here, I want to know, has he got in contact with Booker T yet? No, that's that's still ongoing. Maybe he was trying to do two birds with one stone and like see if, if Booker T was landing at the airport or something like that. But I was just thinking like it really harkens back to a much simpler time in America. Because could you imagine like a camera crew rocking up to an airport just saying, oh, we just want to shoot this segment where a man's sprinting after a plane on a on a runway here. How many ways from Sunday you'd be told to fuck off nowadays? I but, mean, um, Pe- Perez Hilton made a fortune out of doing it, so. True, true enough. Um, so he hears that uh, Ric Flair is back and there's a private jet sitting on the runway uh, a limo is pulling out for it and completely <laughs> no sells him like the, the 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 limo driver who's on the phone I think is he uh, like just doesn't even look at him and just starts driving past and he's like looking in the window going Ric Flair Ric Flair and the limo just keeps going <laughs> so he's like fuck this and he starts sprinting towards the pi- private jet uh, the pilot who is clearly like a shoot pilot because he is the worst actor I've ever seen in my life just says uh, I, I have no away. comment to make at this time sir <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah to keeps telling today to back away from the plane because they're trying to pull up the door and take off so scoops today strikes again there <laughs> do you know what it was, it was a good segment to kind of build up everything that's going on yeah it got excitement fair. going but you know in the in the grand tradition of Mike today uh, trying to figure things out and being unable to uh, it, it was an all timer I would say um, so then we get uh, a replay of my new favourite segment that they're replaying like at oh least once God. a show since it happened that's the Armstrong's getting hoofed by the cat this, is this <laughs> the fourth time we've seen this so I think yeah we saw it didn't happen they, didn't they show it twice on Thunder so it happened on Thunder then they replayed it on Thunder then they replayed it again on the pay-per-view and now they're showing it again so yeah it's the fourth time we've seen him hoof that Armstrong brother in the head um, um, actually speaking of the Armstrongs we should say uh, R.I.P. to Bullet Bob uh, yeah. yeah Bullet Bob passed away the, the, the night before we recorded this mm. um, terrible shame like obviously we're uh, considerably younger than the heyday of Bullet Bob Armstrong but I think we, we all fondly remember uh, him in his mid 60s uh, taking down LAX by himself in TNA the, the highlight of 2002-2003 TNA at one point <laughs> Yeah, oh, a, a legend of the sport. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading a lot of. There seems to be a lot of great Bullet Bob stories mm-hmm. out there, so I'm looking forward to reading some of them. Um, rest in peace to Bullet Bob. Um, but we also got to see footage here of them brawling backstage at the pay per view. This leads into our first match of the night, and that's Alex Wright versus Van Hammer. 
I had completely forgotten Van Hammer existed. I wish I could forget Van Hammer existed. <laughs> um, he's a hippie now. Yeah, so Alex Roy came out and there's guys in the crowd doing his dance, so bizarrely that dance is over still. Of course it is. Um, Van Hammer, uh, it's been quite a time as we said since we last saw him on the show he is now all tie-dyed to bits in his entrance he's talking about Jimi Hendrix uh, I believe he misquotes Jimi Hendrix on the way down uh, instead of the excuse me while I touch the sky he said like something about reaching for the sky um, and yeah this is like this match was shite um, of a lot of it, it was it was Van Hammer yeah, so it's a lot of, like, Alex Wright getting the heat and then Van Hammer doing things like throwing peace signs. Or at one point, <clears throat> I, uh, Alex Wright, like, pulls off a move successfully and does his dance. And Van Hammer says something like, this guy is tripping. I'm like, oh, my God. Um, when Van Hammer makes his comeback, he somehow nearly fucks up a scoop slam, which that, that yeah. just goes to show you the level we're dealing with here. And... and this is the this guy's been in WCW since like nineteen ninety one. Yeah. Like how how is such a bad professional wrestler employed in a major company for so long? And like for a while there during our run of thunder was consistently in one of the most like um long running storylines because he was part of the whole flock thing mm-hmm. and then he was one of the people that originally broke off the flock like right after Saturn did. Um so and yeah. then and then they realized he was shit and just moved him away from it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it goes to show like the the power like of how good Raven was at crafting that whole thing. That like when you started peeling guys away from him, it really separated the wheat from the chaff, and you mm-hmm. could see who who was who was a talented wrestler, as we'll talk about later in the show, um, and who were the ones that Raven was really keeping above the surface. Uh, and Van Hammer was definitely one of those. Um, so, uh, right rolls out to recover, but uh, here comes the cat. Uh, speaking of hoofs, the cat hoofed Van Hammer. <laughs> this, is, <coughs> this is amazing. He comes, like, out, out of nowhere, out of, like, the left-hand side of the frame, and he's already about four to five feet in the air when he comes into frame, and it's a jumping sidekick into the side of Van Hammer's head uh, for the DQ. Um, it, the segment ends bizarrely uh, because he gets in and I think Lee that Alex Wright was supposed to bail out of the ring and no one told him because Cat gets in Alex Wright is still there Alex Wright doesn't seem to know what to do the cat doesn't seem to know what to do Alex Wright kind of starts dancing to celebrate that he won by DQ or but he but he lost by DQ um and then I think the cat says something to him like, get the fuck out of here. And he, he, he bails. Um, <laughs> cat says that WCW, somebody's going to get hurt. Um, there isn't anybody who can beat him. Uh, he's the greatest. Somebody call his mama. Um, the security comes in and hauls him off. Uh, this was an absolute time killer. Um, and I think if you're going to do, like usually these angles where someone comes in and they attack somebody and they get hauled off in handcuffs, um, is to make the guy look like a badass, but you couldn't have made it, Lee, more stilted. Mm-hmm. Uh, a poor match and a really long post-match segment because they literally showed him in one continuous shot go all, all the way, way in handcuffs yeah. from the ring into a squad car. And here's, here's the thing. That would be fine as an angle if for the last, what, two and a half years, the NWO 
haven't been interfering in every fucking match and not getting arrested. Yeah. But instead, the cat interferes in one match and is arrested. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah, it, inconsistency, mm. um, to say the least. And it's something that um, it's something that Bischoff was known for and known for laughing off. Um, I remember digging back into tapes from the old Yada days of Wrestling Observer Live, and I was I believe it was a young Bix who rang in and pointed out to him like the logical uh, inconsistency. And I think there was a segment where Scott Steiner did something where he should have been arrested and someone else was arrested earlier in the show, and Bischoff was like, "Well, it's fake." <laughs> I uh, do you was... know what? I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah, and I've actually I've heard Bix talk about it, and just like it, it's fucking strange. <laughs> yeah, Bish, it, it, one of Bischoff's classic like he's been caught out, so he's deliberately going to act like he doesn't get what you're talking about, yeah. and, and sound real condescending. Um, we get a flashback to War Games next, and then we have Mean Gene, an enormous ovation for Mean Gene, and <laughs> Mean Gene I think was out of position. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he breathlessly gets in the ring. He's like, oh, I'm here now. <laughs> yeah, because you can hear him slightly before you see him, can't you? Yeah. And it's like, the camera obviously didn't cut to him because he wasn't in ring center yet. Um, He's here to interview Brett. <clears throat> uh, and everyone booed. He's like, well, maybe with that response, he won't come out. But uh, Brett limps out anyway, because you remember his his leg got destroyed in, in War Games uh, the previous night. His His knee is heavily bandaged here. Uh, he said for long enough he made a complete jackass of himself listening to all the wrong people he said Hulk Hogan you're full of crap said Hogan ran from him made promises to him and he's scum this is all getting great response from the crowd Mm -hmm. love Hogan being buried Uh, he said his doctor said it's going to be a long time before he can wrestle again he said I didn't earn the US title I don't deserve the US title and he sets it down when he returns he's going to make Hogan's life a living hell Uh, Piper then comes out they, they stare down each other for a while and Piper kind of backs him up into the ropes with their stare down. Uh, he says, two weeks ago I came out here and told Brett what a jerk he was about all the kids he let down about how he was breaking his parents' hearts. This wasn't too long after Stu passed away, was it? Oh, I don't know. Possibly. Yeah, it, it sounds like it wasn't that long after. Because um, he was still making appearances in the crowd on WWF TV in like 97, was mm-hmm. he? Yeah, like yeah. maybe early 97, yeah. Yeah. Um, he says that Brett isn't the first guy to get conned by Hogan. If his dad could see him now, he'd be proud. He doesn't want to see Brett let people down again. He said, if Americans can forgive Bill Clinton, they can forgive Brett. And Brett says all he wants is another chance. Um, what did you think of this segment? I think it was one of the... Um, I think it did a decent job of getting... Like, they've obviously, since Thunder the previous week, where he came out and helped Lex, they were... Getting ready to turn him babyface. I, I think this did a decent job because he came out to a tumult of booze and by the time he left, he was getting cheered. So it, it, it did its job. Um, I think as far as his promos in WCW go, it was on the better side. He came off kind of genuine. Um, Could have done without the Piper part and the like the pulling on the heartstrings with, with Stu. Like, I always feel that stuff is kind of like... Mm. Mm. But it did its job. Look, if you had told me before the show that there was going to be a Bret Hart and Roddy Piper segment where Bret torn's face, I would have just been like, oh, for fuck's sake. But yeah. I have to say, it, it did come off well. I thought Bret, like you said, came across very genuine, like likeable for the first time. Um, I could have done without him talking about the US title the way he did. He could have just said, look, 
I'm injured, I'm going to give this up, it deserves to be defended, blah, blah, blah something yeah. like that. Again, the point, like the, the Stu and Hart family stuff always feels very forced to me, and it feels like something yeah. that Brett asks for people to do. Yeah. But again, that's just something he enjoys, so look, yeah. it is what it is. But yeah, no, look, I thought it was a good little segment. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And the more I think about it, the more I think like the phrasing of saying I didn't earn or, or deserve the US title. That's obviously he's he's done that line from the perspective of the main objective of this segment is to turn me babyface. Mm. But you would think a man like with as traditional a set of wrestling values as Brett would want to put over the belt as well. Mm-hmm. So maybe rephrasing to that, that like holding this belt was a great honor. Um, I, I obviously can't do that now because I'm injured and when I come back you you better believe that I'm gonna earn for, my right yeah first I'm going after Hogan then I'm coming back from my belt kind of thing yeah yeah something like that There there's definitely ways about it you could have done that wouldn't be like him physically setting the belt down I think maybe handing the belt over to Gene or having JJ there I know JJ was all over this show well, well but having wasn't Piper an authority figure at some stage in the last three weeks he still is he's the commissioner I think so why didn't um, he take the belt yeah, he will. He he had set the belt down on the ground before Piper even came out, and he picked it back up then. Um, but then we get a a flashback to the Saturn versus Raven match from Fall Brawl that I still have the warm fuzzies just thinking mm-hmm. about. Uh, and then right after this, what should have been, and this is a, a real tradition with WCW, where a guy gets a huge win, gets one of the biggest pops of his career, and then immediately they're ground to a halt. Because Lee, 24 hours after maybe the, the biggest triumph of his WCW career, who did they put Saturn in with uh, for his first match back? That would be one Kendall Windham. <laughs> and that's fine. Saturn beating yeah. Kendall Windham fine nice little follow-up give him a good a good strong win on nitro established that yeah. you know saturn has freed the flock and he's just kind of fucking he a weight has been lifted off him yeah nope kendall windham beat the shit out of saturn for a good 10 minutes yeah. kendall windham keeping a stretch where every time i see him i couldn't pick him out of a police lineup he looks def- different every time every time human chameleon kendall windham I was briefly thinking when Saturn came out, I was like, oh, we might get a good match now. Or at least, like you said, like him just breezing through a guy in a few minutes. And especially, it, it felt especially poor after, I think right before I had started watching this Nitro, I watched that that Saturday edition of AEW where Cody ate shit for six minutes mm-hmm. and lost a squash to Brody Lee. And I'm like, that is how you make a guy. You know, yep. you have him decisively beat people and do it in a like a short amount of time that doesn't expose them by them going 50-50 or if there's somebody that can't really sell by having them sell for a long time, carrying cross. Um carrying cross who got injured in his biggest fucking match ever. That was yeah, boring yeah. as fuck. Um So yeah, we we had a match where um, for long periods of time it was either 50-50 or Kendall Windham had the heat and I know Saturn is great at all aspects of professional wrestling like he's good on offense he's good selling like he's he is good at everything bar promos mostly mm-hmm. um, but that doesn't mean that you need to go through the rigmarole of having him sell for long periods of this match like this was I think a 10 minute match and he was probably selling for 4 minutes of it oh, <laughs> Do you uh, know I mean? like longer I'd, I'd honestly say longer than that yeah, if it was it a was. ten minute match, I'd say when Kendall took like sixty, sixty five percent of it. 
Yeah, uh, and you know, like Kendall, not the the best professional wrestler in the world, not the the worst on the roster by any stretch, but like Saturn does does still get some good moments out of this match. There's a bit where um he hits a belly to belly overhead on this giant man that makes the ref have to spring up onto the turnbuckle, and then the ref is just stuck sitting on the turnbuckle as Saturn is raining punches mm-hmm. and kicks into Wyndham in the corner, um. And then Saturn hits a sidekick, which sends Windham out. And at that point, I did think it was going to be like, this is going to be like a three-minute match, and Saturn is just going to kill him. Uh, but then we have the long periods of, like, um, you you have Kendall just punch-kick, punch-kick, and, you know, Saturn will fire up briefly, and then it's right back to Kendall uh, on the the, uh, the offense. And at one point, I write in here, um, Saturn is selling like crazy for this idiot. <laughs> Um, and I, th- he, I think at one point Saturn does a flip bump off a back elbow. Yeah, and I'm just like, oh, that, that's fucking stupid. Like it's it's just, and I I not understand it's not Saturn's fault. It's the way the yeah. fucking show is booked. Yeah, and do you know what? Fair like if Saturn came out and he was told to do the job and he didn't do again. It's something that happens in WCW. Mm-hmm. The later we get on, where like there are guys in WCW who are told to go out and do the job or make somebody look good and they make the other person look like shit. And I'll tell you, Saturn came as close to making Kendall Willem look like a million dollars as you probably reasonably could. Um, but that's not to say it was the right thing to do. No, it shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have happened at all. Um, did you notice that uh, Wyndham's jeans were undone for a good half of the match? I didn't. Uh, I, I, I have to say, I just started zoning out at a certain point. Like. I became very distracted. But Now, you obviously, you had wrestling tights on underneath. But I became very distracted by the fact that either his zip or his buttons were undone for most of the match. And all I could think was, why didn't he wear a belt? Yeah. <laughs> like, they had belts in 1998. They did. They, they aren't a recent invention. Um, Kendall, so we're, we're heading towards the finish now. And Kendall does a back suplex off the top. He attempts a, a middle rope elbow and Saturn rolls away. Uh, boots up in the corner and a roll up for two. He hits a huge... It, like It's always impressive to me when Saturn... Saturn's not a small, small guy. But like when he has these big lumbering oafs and he gets them up for these big suplexes where you know he's doing the majority of the effort, it's very impressive to me. So he hits a massive T-bone suplex. Big clothesline, scoop slam, hits his beautiful elbow, but off the middle rope, which is like, it's even more impressive that he gets that hang time on mm-hmm. the elbow just from the middle rope. I God, I love that that diving elbow he does. Um, Kendall blocks a, sup- uh, a suplex attempt, rolls the dice to try to escape. Uh, as he re- rebounds off the ropes, he runs straight into a Death Valley driver. Game over. Thank fuck. Uh, but the segment's not over yet. Uh Thankfully, this was more interesting than the actual match because the flock emerged from the back. Raven is in the crowd, up in the kind of like high, the, the upper bowl of the crowd. He's there with Canyon, his his one loyal disciple remaining because he was the one that kind of joined the flock mm-hmm. uh, by choice rather than being completely brainwashed. Uh, there was definitely some persuasion, but less kind of indoctrination than the other lads. Um Raven, yeah, he's in there with Canyon and he says the the flock have had their 24 hours of freedom, but it's all over now. He tells them to come back and join him in the sanctuary. Saturn says they don't have to. They're free now. And he does the thing that he did before the pay-per-view as well. He pleads with them all individually, telling them what great talents they are. I think the the one that was like pushing it a little bit was, I think he called Sick Boy the, the best young talent in the business. I think or a hot, something hot like young that. prospect or something like that. And he said, yeah. tells him to go be a star. 
Yeah, I think that's a bit of a stretch. Like, when he got to Kidman and said roughly the same thing, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, okay, fair enough. I, I, yeah. I did like a little bit of Kidman, like, saying to Kidman again, go win the Cruiserweight title. And mm-hmm. um, Horace symbolically throwing down the stop sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he had told Horace to dump the sign, he doesn't need it. Yeah, he, he symbolically throws it down very dramatically and does a little stamp on it. I think at one point he says kind of as well, uh, good luck, Lodi. Because he knows <laughs> Lodi is the one that's still like... <laughs> There's no point in talking to you, mate. Uh, he says, just leave. You're all free. All of them walk out. And I did love this little detail. Except Lodi, who kind of on autopilot starts to go over the barricade to go back to Raven. And Kidman, Kidman goes back and he's like, for fuck's yeah. sake, man, come on. And as he's uh, walking away, he just goes, what about the boss? Yeah, yeah. So I, I did I did enjoy that. And then a good bit of that. That was a nice bit of follow up. Yeah. Uh, even if we had to go through a very tedious match to get there. And again, it just establishes for the people that didn't see the pay-per-view that indeed the flock are free. There is no more yeah. flock. And there would be more on this later on in the evening. Uh, next up, we had Wrath versus Renegade, which thankfully did not outstay its welcome. I had uh, no idea this was the Renegade. Yeah, I didn't because he get he he gets the typical jobber entrance of no entrance whatsoever. Um, Wrath comes out. I think it was maybe twenty seconds in before they said it was the Renegade. Mm-hmm. Um, I only had it written down at the start of the match because I had um cage match open, I so see, I knew. I, I try not to look at what matches are on or match order yeah. or like that. So, yeah. Um, Renegade tries to jump him uh, as he's getting through the ropes, but it does not go well for him. I love that, uh, Larry. <laughs> Larry sensationally claims that the Renegade can move like Rey Mysterio Jr. I thought, is, I thought he said that Rat could move like Rey Mysterio Jr. So did I, but then I rewound and his previous sentence was talking about the Renegade. Oh, so now it's even maybe more he just got lost. Maybe he just got lost in a thought. Uh, either way, well, to be it's f- ridiculous. To be fair, Larry uses the same thermonuclear fucking yeah. to describe two different people. Yeah, twice he, in a minute I, and a half, like. Genuinely, Larry may not know which one is which, and I could not blame him. Um, so uh, Renegade does a corner handspring, uh, but Wrath explodes out with a shoulder tackle uh, and a meltdown for the win. This this does not last long, as I said, and thank for thank God for that. Uh, Eric, Liz, Hogan, and the Disciple are out next. Eric Eric says the arena is a new house for built for Hogan. Uh, Bischoff notices that he is here and Flair is not, which causes a great amount of booze come to come from the crowd. Did did, uh, did you not see the uh, fan sign on the entrance? No. Usually, I'm good at spotting these, but I've I've obviously missed it. Eric Bischoff very kind or nicely pointed out this sign that said, "Eric Bischoff's pen is bigger than Vince McMahon's." Oh God. <laughs> Anything to to soothe that ego. Yeah, oh, re- real big dick energy there from Eric, isn't it? Indeed. Um, Hogan calls Brett and Piper sissies. Uh, <sighs> fucking sucker and succotage. Yeah, which uh, he said that him and the NWOites, they all despise sissies. He says they also despise a coward. And speaking of car- cowards, he talks about Warrior then, saying Warrior won't face him. He says, you can fool some of the stupid fans or promoters some of the time, but everyone uh, saw Hogan beat everyone in that cage, but Warrior snuck up on him and wrecked it. And I think you'll find, Hulk Hogan, that Warrior actually ran directly down the entrance ramp. It was the fake Warrior that you attacked and murdered that snuck up on you. (laughs) And even he didn't sneak up on you, because when he showed up in the ring, he had his back to Hogan. 
So, like, no version of the Warrior at that pay-per-view actually snuck up on him. Although, uh, I mean, the smoke filling the ring could have been a bit of a giveaway. Yeah, uh, you would think, like, it's... Uh, also, the, fa- also the fact fire. that the, the time was up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, ju- yeah, just an idea. Yeah, he politely waited. Yeah. Uh, he says he's going to send him back to where no man has ever came from. I'm not sure how you send somebody back to somewhere no man has ever come is, from. Is that supposed to be a parts uh, unknown joke? I, I, I believe so. Uh... He says he's going to be partying in Vegas at Hollywood Havoc, which I enjoyed him calling it Hollywood Havoc. Uh, and he lays down the challenge to Warrior for the pay-per-view. And my my stomach retched because I know what this leads to. And I don't know if we said it on the air. We've definitely said it off the air. You've never seen that full match. Mm-hmm. And Lee, this will probably be the closest until 2000 that you will come to not wanting to do this show anymore. That's how bad this match is. <laughs> But anyway, um, did you notice that the whole time Hogan is talking in the background, right behind yeah. his head, right. is another fan sign? Okay, and it states very simply that Hogan is a fossil. <laughs> they're not wrong, and it, they're they're the fact that it was so prominent for so long. I was amazed. Yeah, that no one came in and yeah. had a word and took the sign. Um, I it's funny because like the the thing. You know, that definitely would have been a thing that was leveled at Hogan before the NWO turn. But now the NWO thing has gone on for so long and is so tired that he's a fossil for a second time over. It's mm-hmm. it's incredible. Uh, and somebody was point, like somebody, I think, pointed out recently that like, I, I think, what is it? Uh, four years after this, he has that brief undisputed title reign. And he he was the age during that reign that Jericho was during his uh, AEW undisp- his AEW title yeah. reign. So like the fact that he was a fossil twice over and kind of um, Jericho was still finding ways to be to be useful and influential in wrestling now is it, it, it's quite something. Well, Hogan just got his nostalgia run basically. Yeah, and look, you know, I will acknowledge there are a lot of people that are, you know, there are people that are tired of Jericho and and his shtick and things like that. And obviously, with any wrestler, your mileage may vary, but you know, he's he's definitely still doing more interesting things than Hogan was at this point, who was just coming out and doing the same promo and having the same bad match every time out uh, in 1998, and would go on to wrestle for many years. Um. So, yeah, the ring fills with smoke then once again and the disciple vanishes. Hogan, once again, like when it comes to Hogan, whatever about when when the warrior is involved, like his cartoony selling of things and his mugging and facial expressions go up to... Like, it's like he's going back to that 80s glory period where everything was turned up way, way more. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just seemed stupid. Yep. You know, um, well, I mean, and like it, it was perfect for his fucking direct to TV movies with fucking child actors that never were like, yeah, yeah, it's great for high noon at Mega Mountain and uh, things like that, but yeah, here and he goes down the barrel of the camera and is screaming, Warrior, yeah, it's just for this era, it's really out of place, cheesy, mm-hmm. you know, it was cheesy when he was. You know, when they were doing the Dungeon of Doom thing and he was, you know, there's no Hulkamaniacs here. And that was several years ago. Like, it's it's not aged any better, you know. Um, the very, very poor segment here, um, I thought, building up a match that I know is going to be horrendous. And that I think even 1998, it, I would have expected to be horrendous. 
Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure everyone expected it to be horrendous, and that's why they tried to put it in a cage and make it a little bit more interesting. Mm. Um, cruiserweight title match up next. It had been announced at the start of the show that Kaz Hayashi was challenging, but they're saying that he's injured now and will be replaced by Kidman. Now, was this? Did you not know this? No, uh, because we had been talking, and you asked me how far yes. into the show I was, and I said, "Oh, well, the cruiserweight yeah. title sounds good, so you know, have that to look forward to." Yeah, I, I, as soon as you said that, I was like, "Oh, he doesn't." I don't think he knows. So I said nothing to you. So was it a nice, pleasant surprise when Kidman came out? It was when when I heard them say, "You know, Kaz has been injured, and Kidman's replacing him," and I just yeah. went, "Okay, I'm, I'm happy with this. I know where this goes." Yeah. Um, now look, now look, we we do we're fans of Kaz Hayashi here on the program, but like we've said before, that Kidman and Hoovy have great chemistry, mm-hmm. and obviously the big thing coming off again coming out of Fall Brawl was, you know, somebody from the flock was going to have to get a win, yeah, and why not be the fucking most talented one? Yeah, for sure. And Lee, before we get into it uh, and the back and forth of it all, I really enjoyed this match. I thought this was a great little match. Uh, honestly yeah. like this is this is the perfect type of match that i just enjoy just sitting back and watching and i don't need to take a million notes yeah and i could just go yep yeah, that is good professional wrestling and this is what i want to see more of yeah for a tv match during this period of time it's in the upper echelons mm-hmm. you know what i mean like it was just a cracking match to have on a monday nitro uh, I absolutely loved it i will i will try and run down some of the things that happen here as best as i can um, so the match starts off a million miles an hour with Hoovy uh, getting the better of the early exchanges, which I love. I, I love that, you know, Kidman, this is something that happens in the maybe the first two thirds of the match is that they tell the story that like Kidman is just kind of out on his own away from the flock new. So there's a little bit of trepidation and Hoovy is the he's the defendant champ. So he's more comfortable early on um, and Kidman kind of grows into himself. Yeah, and you can see that Hoovy has gained so much confidence from being champion and from defending the title. And, yeah. you know, it's like, I think they mentioned that Hoovy beat Kidman not too long ago. I want to say, like, a couple of weeks ago on a Thunder or a Nitro. Yeah. I know it wasn't. It was a Bash at the Beach, wasn't it? Oh, yes, 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 you're right. And um, they brought that up, and it was just like, you know, and since then, Hoovy has kind of really stepped up. And this was yeah. a, a chance for Kidman to say, right, well, I'm right there with him and kind of still push him, push him right to the edge. And, uh, yeah. A nice little touch I thought as well is the commentators right at the start of the match are like, you know, it's only been 24 hours, but even he just looks cleaner now, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he looked cleaner and he had a bit more like he wasn't like the head wasn't dropped and he coming out, mm-hmm. you know, he was lifting his head higher and stuff like there was little changes in the like I said, the gear looking a bit cleaner yeah. and just the way he carried himself. That was like really good here from from Billy it, Kidman. Um, it, it's like that thing like we, I said in the pay-per-view. Saturn had to get through to one of them. Yeah. And it was Kidman that he got through to. And it's that little thing. Like you said, the head is held high. He yeah. he knows he's good. And this is more reminiscent now of the Billy Kidman I I, I, had, I was quite a fan mm-hmm. of uh, as a young Dave watching WCW. Uh, we have a 10 punch in the corner, but Kidman is able to roll away before Hoovy can come off the top after it. Hoovy catches up, drags him to the ground by the hair, goes up, hits a missile drop kick, which sends Kidman rolling out of the ring. Uh, Kidman back in, hits a slingshot head scissors before coming off the ropes and uh, catching Hoovy in a power slam. Um it's kind of a shame at the start because like as i said as he's growing into it kidman is kind of playing the heel at the start mm-hmm. uh, and you think you'd want him to start off as the fiery baby face but 
I think my fears about that were allayed by the end of the match yeah. because it's almost like he had the slow turn from the start to the finish of the match that there is a bit of the heelish side left him at the start and then it's pure fire mm-hmm. uh, right towards the end here. And plus ag- against Hoovy who, like we've said, is very beloved by the WCW yeah. crowd at this time. I don't think it would have worked for Kidman to come out and be all fiery babyface. Yeah, uh, and like... It's great that kid like the more the match goes on, the more like Kidman starts. You know, we have Hoovy going into his usual repertoire, but Kidman has him scouted and hits some very clever things. There's one point where, um, so Kidman attempts a German, Hoovy sticks the landing, and that's the thing that Hoovy does in matches. He sticks the landing out of a German suplex, but Kidman reacts fastest, and Hoovy runs into a sit out spine buster. Mm-hmm. I love that. Uh, wheelbarrow suplex look very good uh, we've more back and forth uh, as we're heading towards the end now uh, and Hoovy gets a near fall off a German suplex top rope Hurricane Rana for another near fall uh, Kidman missed a splash into the corner uh, he nearly walks into a Hoovy driver but slips out of it and gives him a reverse suplex Just for a two dip like, pop uh, for that reverse suplex they bit for the two count yeah. off a reverse suplex like incredible stuff um he slams Hoovy to set up the seven-year itch and people know that that's what's happening. And something I love that happens here on commentary is that they call it the itch at first, but then they, both times they, they call it the itch, they then say the shooting star press. Yeah, they, they correct themselves. It used to be called the, sh- the, the seven-year itch. Now it's the shooting star press. And, um, so yeah, it's a nice subtle bit of commentary to re- educate the fans. Re- and remove them from the flock, Kidman. He's like, yeah. he, he's like reborn. Yeah, uh, but Hoovy crotches him on the top rope. He gets up top for a top rope Frankensteiner, uh, goes for the 450 then. Kidman is up, hits the sit-out spine buster as he dives off the ropes at him, hits the shooting star press, and it's an absolutely mm-hmm. enormous reaction. My only regret from this is that he ha- he still had no theme music at this point, yeah. so it's like an enormous reaction to no musical background, which is just a bit jarring. Yeah, it's kind of strange. And then, like, the, the camera flashing from Hoovy to Saturn to Kidman to back to Saturn. Yeah. And it's all a bit yeah. kind of, like, it's a bit lost. Yeah. Um, but what I did love about it was the, the bit where Saturn comes mm-hmm. out is that there is that moment where it's cutting back and forth between them and there's a little awkward. It's like, what's going to happen here? Like, it seems a bit standoffish. And then Saturn just starts applauding Kidman yeah. as if to go, way to go, kid. I knew you could do it, which is just... Oh, I, I love that. Do you know what? I would have liked if they just kind of pointed out Saturn was on the stage at the start of the match. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, like, you get that at indie shows where you see the guys watching through the curtain? Yeah. Yeah. You just have, like, you can see Saturn, like, peeking around or he's in the crowd watching or something like that. Yeah. I think. But uh, him applauding was a nice w- touch. Wasn't it? Joe Lanza on the flagship a couple of weeks ago said um, when he was, uh, I think it was the Dallas WrestleMania. Yeah. Or no, it wasn't. It was a, an ROH show and. Um, Morishima came out to watch a match with or no Nakajima came out to watch a Morishima match and like Nakajima just stood next to him for the whole match and then once it was over it yeah. just went to the back yeah well that's like uh, when we were at um, n- not you and I but when when the gang were at uh, 16 Carat early this year uh, which feels like it was about two years ago at this point now uh, during the, the big crazy Lucha 6 man that's the, the tradition on actually no I think it was the um bandito speedball match that happened that weekend that was just like unbelievable uh 
honorary friend of the show, Daniel Maccabe, came out and was just standing with the fans watching the match and freaking out as much as the rest of us were. And it's always a nice thing, like, even if you're not involved in the match directly, like, just coming out and, like, seeing a pro appreciate good wrestling mm-hmm. is always a nice touch to me. Do you know, to see somebody that's not only in professional wrestling, but is actually a fan of it. Exactly, yeah. It's nice to see that they appreciate other people in the business and, like, kind of are still watching other stuff. As well, yeah. as, as well as just doing their own thing. like They still appreciate what other people are doing. Mm, for sure. Uh, next up, Tony sends us to the back and Mean Gene is uh, in the, the back of the arena and he's stalking JJ. A crowd of people are turning a corner and going into a dressing room. He wants to know if the figure he saw huddled amongst them going into the dressing room was Ric Flair. Uh, JJ, who is in the proper uh, tux and everything... He says that uh, this is going to be a night like no other and because of the immense respect he has for Gene, he isn't going to tell him because he wants him to be surprised too. And I love Gene's quip here. He said, hold on, JJ, I picked up a bar tab for it, for you in my time. <laughs> Great. Uh, and Dillinger just says, not tonight, pal. <laughs> Which is probably the best thing Doug Dillinger has ever done. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Um, so yeah uh, so Tanae failed and now Mean Gene has failed nobody has gotten the scoop on, on Nate but uh, as you say it's it's still reminding you every now and then oh we think they're back we think mm-hmm. they're back and it's we're not quite at the point yet where WCW told us that they will tease things and then not deliver on them at this point we still had reason to suspect if they told us that there's possibly going to be an Nature Boy sighting that we could be pretty assured that he would be showing up do you know what it is Dave and we talked about what? this before we came on here yeah. It's the Quentin Tarantino idea of building tension. Yeah, yeah. You've got to build it to the point. Like, there's no point in doing it on the cold open on Nitro. You know, like, oh, here's the Nitro girls. And, oh, there's Ric Flair. Like, you've got to lay the seed uh, throughout the show. Because, well, you know, if you want to look at it from the Eric Bischoff perspective, it's going to build ratings. Mm-hmm. The longer Ric Flair doesn't show up, the longer you tease it for, the more people are going to tune in going, I hear Ric Flair's showing up The, tonight, mo- the know, more people the are going to go, well, there's only an hour left, so it has to be during this hour. Yeah, that's why one of the things that, like, not to, to beat WWE with another stick, but, like, do you remember they had, when Bret Hart finally came back, mm-hmm. he was the opening segment of Raw. Yes, but that and was because they, it was going up against TNA. But this this wasn't my the, the, my final part of this. He he immediately called out Shawn Michaels. Yes. So you could have had Brett come out early mm-hmm. in the show and then tease the confrontation with Shawn later. You know, that Shawn maybe arrives after that segment, he hears Brett's back and Shawn's going to go to the ring later and call out Bret Hart. You know what I mean? That That's how you do something like that. Um so then you're spiking a rating at the start by creating the, you know, the, the the tease for later on in the show and the rating would continue to build rather than people go, right, I've seen Brett now, but did now they, I can switch. Didn't they also go straight into the Vince versus Brett stuff on that show? I think they might have. Like, think, they, think, they, they really the hit that segment. stuff. They really hit that stuff quite early on. Um... But uh, speaking of uh, stars of the biz, Larry cuts to his good friend, Jackie Chan. <laughs> who is like, and what I loved with it, like I absolutely lost it that he goes, my good personal friend, Jackie Chan. So I was already laughing at that. But then it cuts to Jackie Chan. He says, hey, Larry. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, now, was... what do Jackie Chan and Larry Zabisco talk about when they're out together? Oh, I tell you what, those those two characters absolutely paint the town red. 
<laughs> maybe play a couple of holes and then just go on a mad one. I just I I just couldn't get the idea out of my head of the two of them like out at a bar just hanging out. But uh he's here to promote Meals on Wheels the the, the feature <laughs> later on on TNT. Hang I'm on, just hang like on. it is not called Meals on Wheels. <laughs> That's what it sounded like. Because they surely like not. I thought I misunderstood because the sound mixing during this segment is really bad because Jackie Chan is kind of low and you can still hear background noise a lot. But then I'm pretty sure Tony says it. Um, but anyway, regardless of what the feature is called, like it's not quite as uh, as good as movies for guys who like movies <laughs> <laughs> on, on the Superstation. But regardless, the thing that I lost my mind about and it made me feel absolutely ancient oh, yeah. is... That the new brand new movie he was here to promote was Rush Hour. Yep. The first Rush Hour. Age catches up with us all. I could not but now I would have been much more rattled if like Rush Hour 3 was 22 years ago. <laughs> but like I, I wasn't happy learning that Rush Hour was that long ago, I'll tell you that. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, if you watch after Nitro, you can see an extended preview for Rush Hour. And I love this segment ending with Larry saying, Look, I taught him everything he knows. Of course he did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course he did. Um like Larry is kind of hogging the limelight only to be topped later on in this program by one line that DDP has, but we will get to that. Uh, Eddie and Eric backstage next. I love this, right? So they're shouting at it. We, we cut in mid tiff as they're shouting at each other. Eric says, uh, you know, you want, and I love this, like turning into an angle, how people want to quit your stupid promotion. <laughs> and he says that like, Oh, look, Eddie, you want out of this company, but you're not going anywhere because I made you a star. <laughs> Eric says, how do you like Japan and missing your daughter's birthday? And as punishment, sends him to Japan. For dare asking to leave the company, yeah. Yeah. Now, Lee, I, you're going to punish somebody by saying, you you go to Japan and you get off my airwaves. Um, How long do you think Eddie was gone for? Ooh, a week. Three weeks. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, so they stuck to it long, it, stuck to it longer than I thought. Yeah, on his tour of Japan, how many matches do you think he wrestled? He was there for three weeks. Okay, so twelve, one. Oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> what? Um, Why? Yeah, and it's a tag match, and the tag match also features Chris Jericho. Who was not sent away. He was just... He just there. went and came back. Yeah. Yeah. So it was uh, Otani and uh, Takaiwa, uh, who were the junior heavyweight tag champions at the time in New Japan. Against and the they AMA. Defeated, they defeated Black Tiger and yeah. Chris Jericho. And so, what, yeah. what? that's one of only two times that Jericho and Eddie teamed, wasn't it? Because I, yeah. I think they had one match on Thunder together. Yeah. Just as a, a one-off on a New Japan tour. Because it wasn't even, I don't think it was even a, a big show. I think it was part of one of their tours. Tour stop, yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there you are. <laughs> That's punishment, I suppose. Next up, the biggest shock on this whole show, Lee. Barbarian versus Davy Boy. What the fuck is he doing wrestling? Davy, you lied to me. You said we'd never see him again. <laughs> yeah. That's, I couldn't believe it. I could not believe I it. I heard the music playing and I went, 
why the fuck is Anvil coming out to Bulldog's music? Yeah, yeah. Because like I, I, everyone knows this is the match where he suffers the effectively career-ending injury. But it's it, so it's a spinal infection he gets. So now we see at the end of this match that he's definitely starting to mm-hmm. not feel good. But uh, obviously this was it was not picked up immediately, and one might suspect that him just proceeding along as normal and not getting treated immediately because he didn't know how fucked up he was. Um, probably contributed to how severe the injury was but I could not believe it especially when this match starts and Barb is like manhandling around the ring and working the back that's the point of the match yep Uh, he hits uh, (laughs) Barb hits Davey with a big ending in this match which I laughed at Big E watching his Barb tapes Um, Barb distracts the ref while Jimmy lays in some uh, like uh, Jimmy Hart's worked punches on Davey here actually look pretty good where they worked that's my question <laughs> yeah well that's it yeah they may not have been <laughs> as worked as you would like snug shall we say um davy gets him up for the power slam somehow uh but jimmy holds bar's feet which i imagine when you're doing that and throwing off the center of gravity like that has got to suck for an already injured back um davy decks jimmy hart getting his receipt uh and turns around into a clothesline uh, Barb starts to load up the boot. Davy ducks the big boot. Barb walks into a really bad looking power slam for the yeah. win. Uh, and when you see Davy getting out of the ring and leaving, you can see him like properly wincing mm-hmm. now. And I'm just like, at this point, I'm expecting him to wrestle on Thunder. <sighs> I felt so bad for him. Like, yeah. so bad watching him walk away from the ring. And it's just like. Ugh. Like, if the guy had to just got fucking medical help the night before, or, you know, things would have been so much different. Yeah, I know. And, um, and, and you know what? Yeah, I, don't, just... I don't necessarily blame WCW for not picking it up. No, because it doesn't sound like anybody knew. Like, you know, and it's one of those things where it's during that era, era where if it didn't, like, if you were able to move, you kind of toughed it out. So he genuinely may not have known how bad this injury was. And I don't know what the key symptoms of a spinal infection are. Um, but yeah, it can't have been, it can't have made it any better. Mm-hmm. Um, Gene is in the ring with JJ now, saying, "You know, do you not think you're a bit overdressed for the occasion?" JJ doesn't know what he means by that, which I loved. Uh, Gene asks him about Scott and Buff. Uh, JJ says that they embarrassed themselves last night. He says technically Scott did get in the ring with Rick, but we did not get a conclusion, and their behavior was not acceptable. The executive committee hereby orders Scott Steiner to get in the ring with Rick again at Halloween Havoc. Um, as the segment ends, Lee, I don't know if you were watching around this time or, or know what this is, but the lights faded and a shrill cackle can be heard. And this is foreshadowing what is genuinely one of the worst WCW segments of all time. And do you know what it is? No, I don't. I can't. I, I, I remember. Like, I, I know something happens and I just can't remember what it is because for whatever reason I've obviously blanked it out in my head okay so do, do you want to take a guess no I don't who? because god knows what this fucking company comes up with okay so you might think that when something like that happens your usual guess is right okay it's a debut or returning wrestler or something like that is going to have a feud with Rick Steiner and you know um this is the the start of the tease for them coming back. Uh, that's not what happens. 
And I really hope, I, I was supposed to look up before the show started to see if it's on the next Nights of Nitro we're doing, because we're doing one more Nights of Nitro before Halloween Havoc, and it may well be that, so we may well have to watch this segment. But it's not a wrestler, Lee, um, that's being teased with this cackling and the, the lights fading. It's not actually even a human. Oh, no. Do you know who it is? It's fucking Chucky. It is Chucky, yeah. I thought, I thought because, this was earlier in... Oh, boy. No, because the bride of Chucky, I believe, is about to come out in cinemas. Uh, and this leads to a segment where, very similar to this, Gene is interviewing Rick Steiner in the ring. And the cackling happens again. And Chucky shows up on the screen. And in a three-minute segment that is cringy beyond belief, he buries babyface Rick Steiner in front of a crowd that was cheering for Chucky so now like the babyface has been made to look like an idiot by a fictional character and he he backs his friend Scott like he, he's threatening that Scott is going to be the lead in Chucky's next motion picture <laughs> which I would love to have seen that uh, and that he better keep his hands off him and not damage him but he buries Gene as well in the process but it's one of those like where clearly the whole segment was taped beforehand and the two lads Gene and, and Rick are just trying to respond in the gaps in between Chucky's dialogue Um, it's it really is an all-timer um, I, I'm gonna tweet it out when this episode drops because I, I think people should see it once if they haven't before. But fuck me, it is absolutely horrendous. Um, we have a couple of you know that was cringy enough what that was leading to, but uh, we have a couple of cringy segments up next. Uh, the first is the more Nitro Girl dancing, but the second is a video of the most recent Nitro Party Pack winner, and the sight of this Nitro Party Lee is the most quintessentially nineteen ninety eight wrestling fan cringe I've ever seen. I mean, it's like a a, a private party at a university where like people have fan signs and stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, I got secondhand embarrassment for them watching it, and mm. uh, also it looked shy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it really did. It looked very low energy. Um, like, our like next we, ma- we've been in crowds yeah. of wrestling fans. Yeah, and you know, not wanted to engage with a lot of people. Yeah, I can't imagine going to a fucking party on a college campus. Yeah. I think the only more embarrassing wrestling crowd I've been a part of than this one is when I went to Raw. When I was at Mania in Dallas. Oh, because... I was going to say, would it not be the WrestleCon crowd you witnessed? Uh, yeah, look. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there was... Yeah, Jesus, now when I think back of that, yeah, that was pretty bad. Um, But, like, in terms of just the because it was the Raw After Mania crowd, and it was kind of the year where you realised the Raw After Mania was just, it was kind of done. Yeah, it was finished. What what, what, what was Dallas? What one that was? So, Apollo Crews debuted uh, on that Raw. Uh, Enzo and Cass were called up on that show. Um, and the, the big, the, the most big, genuine, cool return on the show was Cesaro. Oh, that's right, the, the four-way match, wasn't it? Yeah, where AJ became number yeah. one contender. So that was good, but the rest of Raw was absolute shite, and there was more beach ball stuff happening, and, you know, one of those, like, it's the most I've ever seen a crowd try to get itself over, and it was just, like... It Wasn't was that year... where they tried to do fandangoing in game, wasn't it? 
Um, was that that year? I no, I think that might have been. I think the Fandangoing was done by then, but I, I could be just suppressing it, to be honest. But there was a lot of shite going on in the crowd. Like, it was fun for about 10 minutes because... Um, who were they giving shit to? It wasn't the year where they booed Roman because I saw, it was Roman Triple H at the Mania the night before, which... Ugh. But, uh, yeah, that Raw crowd was just... Doesn't bear thinking about. Uh, our next match... Um, it was supposed to be Jim Neidhart versus the Disciple, but as you might recall, Lee, the Disciple was abducted earlier in the evening. Now, it had felt like it was about four hours since that had happened. So I forgot. So when they said it was Jim Neidhart versus the Disciple, I was wondering why God had forsaken us. Well, I mean, just just think about that match we, we were spared from witnessing in nineteen ninety. Yes, I know. Thank fuck. Um, no Disciple, though. The ring fills with smoke again. Warrior is here, and he's wearing... Uh, just the the most ridiculous pair of uh, cowboy jeans and belt combination um the disciple is like slumped presumably dead beside him um on his knees uh hollywood so nwo hollywood comes out and for some reason they don't immediately surround the ring like they give him ample chance to get away if he wanted to um warrior then cuts an incomprehensible promo lee like it's the usual warrior standard um my understanding is something about hogan being a coward and the fact that hogan's a coward made people love the warrior more i mean two lines i caught are in our lives we can choose to live as warriors or ordinary men i mean okay sure yeah and then to close he says remember this remember this Graveyards are full of cowardly, trembling, conquerable men. What the fuck does that even mean? Well, you better remember it, Lee. <laughs> Doesn't matter what it means, you better remember I it. I can't possibly forget it. <laughs> Warrior accepts Hogan's challenge for Havoc. Smoke again, and him and the Disciple are gone. Uh, do, do you know what? If his, yeah. if his wife is on the Raw writing team, this would explain... A lot of the shitty promos we've been fucking yeah. seeing on Raw for a long uh, time. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, this was absolutely horrendous. Uh, next up, we have Silver King and Norman Smiley in a handicap match versus Scott Steiner with Buff. Um, not really much to say here, Lee. Scott beats the shit out of them. Yes, yes, he does. He just uh, absolutely for fucking... probably like maybe a minute too long. Like it got like it was just at the point of being a bit uncomfortable. Oh, I was well past that stage. Yeah. <laughs> I, I felt so bad for these two guys. Like, you have Silver King coming off, like, a pay-per-view title match. And Norman Smiley, who was apparently in a feud with the cat. Yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. But it doesn't matter. He, they're just going to get fucking destroyed by Scotty. Yeah. Uh, the finish comes as uh, Scott gives a gorilla press to Smiley. And then in one of the most painful oh, things I've seen on a so WCW sore. show... He hits a butterfly suplex on Silver King on top of Norman Smiley. And then in a cool finish, he stacks the two of them and puts them both in the recliner. Um, which definitely looks considerably better than any time uh, anyone, uh, Natty or otherwise, has tried to do a double sharpshooter on anybody. The recliner is just a much more inherently stackable mm-hmm. submission well, hold. I, I think Rusev did it a couple of times, didn't he? The Oh, God. God, I miss Rusev, Lee. <sighs> He'll be back. Love you, Miro. Love you, Miro. Can't wait for that G1 run 2021. Um, Nitro Girls again after this. 
and then we get a flashback to Bischoff and Arn from Thunder and this was when I got my confirmation that the uh, the arm wrestling match apparently is still happening we were wondering were they just going to conveniently forget about it but I guess they're still doing it even though the horsemen are coming back tonight anyway apparently um, next up Lee I messaged you this mm-hmm. and I said I have my new favourite immobile lumbering stiff match of all time <laughs> and did you see what I meant by this Yes, yes I did. Uh, it was Giant versus Meng. And before I launch into this, I just want to say, I know it wasn't good, but at the same time, Lee, it was fabulous. <laughs> I when, when you, loved this. When, when you said to me you had your new favourite match of two lumbering guys with zero bumps. Or sorry, one bump. Yeah. There was only one bump. Yeah. There was one bump in this match. And then I saw Barb and Bulldog come out. I went, oh, well, this is it. One one bump and the bump was the finish. Yeah, yeah. And you yeah, you thought the the Barb match was it. But and then I was watching, I was you... watching it going, there's fucking more than one bump in that. I was like, ah, yeah. fucking leave it with Dave. He obviously fucking wasn't paying attention. Yeah. But then the giant comes out and then comes out. And I went, ah, well, here we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That oh my god, it was so good. We, we, like it we, was. We should also say at this stage, the giant had already agreed to go to WWF. He wasn't yeah. fucking bumping for anyone. <laughs> no. Oh my god, this is amazing! I fucking love this so much. The bell rings and the two of them just start fucking swinging at each other. It's amazing. Like this looked like the two of them were having a fucking bar fight. They're just standing stock still and fucking hurling punches at each other. It uh, it ruled, and then Ming Meng roars in his face and sidekicks him. Giant in the corner. He chops Meng a couple of times, and Meng is loving us. <laughs> I honestly think these two were trying to hit each other and see could they hurt the other guy. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure like. There's like a, a, a redness above Giant's eye at one point in this match that he, he must have got caught flush at least once in this. Like both of them, I would say, did. Um, they start swinging at each other again. It's amazing. Giant lays one of his giant headbutts in and Meng completely no-sells it. <laughs> then a huge boot from Meng staggers the Giant and in the funniest immobile stiff finish of all time, he goes for the tongue and death grip. <laughs> And Giant reaches out with his hand. And because the Giant is an even bigger lumbering stiff, he has the bigger reach. So the tongue and deck grip doesn't reach the throat of the Giant, but his hand reaches the throat of Meng and he gets the choke slam for the one bump of this match and the finish. And this was art. <laughs> <laughs> would, you, would you watch a rematch of this match on Thunder? I'm... I thinking about going rewatching this match right now <laughs> after we finish this show oh my god i loved it like i said it was terrible but it was fantastic it's just gr- I, fabulous i will say by the time giant made his entrance i yeah. was fucking sick of hearing the nwo music yeah and it wouldn't be the last time you'd hear it on this show either no and obviously giant wins we hear it again and coming into the next segment we hear it again 
And speaking of bad segments, oh. Scott Hall and Vincent are out and Hall is staggering about again. The drunk shtick is continuing. Uh, Hall conducts his survey. Uh, it's worth noting that in terms of the beverage he's bringing with him, in one week he's gone from a classy looking cocktail in a glass to like a 40 in a brown paper, paper bag. bag. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like the cocktail wasn't obvious enough. And do, do you know what? Uh, Look, the, the Scott Hall stuff is bad. We'll get on to that in a second. Hmm. But how fucking shitty is it that the first appearance of the wolf pack is happening halfway through hour three on this fucking yeah. show? When clearly by the reaction that, that Lex gets when he comes out, they are, like, apart from Goldberg and Flair, the most over people mm-hmm. on this show. Like, he- like how? How are they? Like, we've heard fucking, we've seen NWO Hollywood, I want to say, eight times. Yeah, it feels like it anyway. Like, how are they not fucking putting Conan in the opening hour, Nash yeah. in the second hour, and, like, Glugarn singing the third hour? Like, how? Yeah, they'll overdo it with Hollywood, but they won't with, and you know, there's probably a very, mm-hmm. very handlebar moustached reason for that. And, you know, it's it's the thing that struck me straight away, like, when I heard Luger's music, or the Wolfpack music playing. I was like, there's a very obvious reason that we haven't seen these fucking, any of these for the first two hours of this show. Yeah, oh, if Hogan was in the Wolfpack. I'll tell you that um yeah the wolfpack decisively wins scott's survey here so that 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 tells you where these are positioned now at this point what's brilliant is that i think for the first time nwo hollywood comes last in the survey <laughs> they get a very tepid mm-hmm. reaction um the match is scott hall with vincent versus lex luger um a lot of standing off here scott hall goes to the apron for a drink uh trips over the middle rope on his way in hip toss reversals and Scott is just chuckling they go to lock up Scott takes a bump from the lock up rolls to his stomach and then rolls out of the ring Um, he gets back in at 9 Luger locks up with him and lectures Hall in the corner saying he could hurt somebody here they're doing the worked shoot and I'm just like oh fuck's sake like, look you, you can hear the enthusiasm in our voice over this this yeah. fucking stinks it is one yeah. of the worst angles ever devised in the history of American television. It's gross. And it's sickening. Yeah. It's on like yeah. the the man had real life problems at this stage. Yeah. Ah oh, God. So Eric comes out and he has a chat trying to talk Hall into coming back. As Lex yells at him, it's a disgrace. <laughs> and it just gave me it harkened me back to uh to Jamesy at OTT shows shouting at Paul Tracy. You're a disgrace. You're a disgrace. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I could think of. And that is probably the last time I will ever compare our good friend Jamesy to Lex Luger, but you never know. Um, Conan and Nash are out now, you know, to deepen the the work mm-hmm. shoot and, and they're dropping all sense of character and they're trying to talk sense into Hall. Um, I will say, up until the point at the end, like, it's really not cool. It's really gross, as we say. It's one of the worst, like, devised segments uh, or storylines in, in American wrestling TV history. But... In this moment, Hall's acting is pretty good. <laughs> you know, like obviously you could say obviously he has quite a bit of experience at this point in in doing the the, mm. the drunk man shtick, but uh, like his acting is is pretty damn good. Uh, but the- I couldn't quite Funny. make out when when uh, Hall is shouting at Bischoff and Nash. What is it like? Where we use when something happened or? Yeah. Oh, uh, what was it you said? I did pick up on that. Oh, where like where were you when I needed your help or something yeah. like that? I think that might have been referring back to when he had a title shot, was it? 
Maybe. I don't know. Like, and then I was thinking, like, wasn't it around this time that his, his wife kicked him out? And yeah, so I think it might he'd, be that. Oh, was he had a couple of car uh, yeah. accidents? Yeah, I think it was like, "Where were you when I needed you?" Something, something to that mm. effect. Yeah. Um. So then he takes the forty has disappeared, and Vincent passes him a different little sippy cup because it's a prop, and he proceeds to throw up on Eric and on the camera. And Eric uh, shouts at the the director to take them to a break. Mm-hmm. It was awful. Yep. I mean, um, I mean this, and the Austin feud going into WrestleMania nineteen, or yeah. WrestleMania eighteen. Sorry. Um, yeah. Not good. No. No. Um. Moving on, we go from the worst segment on the show to probably the best. And probably. JJ is coming out. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really underselling if I say probably distinctly the best segment of the show. Sorry, I just love that giant Meng match very much. <laughs> <laughs> so, JJ's here. Could it possibly be time? He gets in the ring and he immediately invites the enforcer, Aaron Anderson, to the ring. And at this point, Lee, I'm so excited. Yep. I've seen this segment I don't know how many times and it still gets me. Uh, from the start of this, the screeching guitar of the horseman theme, an arm comes out mm-hmm. dressed like a priest. Um, <laughs> Reverend Aaron. Yeah, this is so, oh God, it's so good. JJ apologizes for the things he said to Aaron the last time they were together in a ring. Aaron says, when 15,000 people blow the roof off the place, that's what a pop smells like. Yeah, he's just like, can you smell it, JJ? Can you yeah. smell it? <laughs> just his arm around him, it's great. <laughs> He says, tonight is a new beginning for the horseman. He said, on the he was on the operating table 18 months ago, and that's when Aaron Anderson, the wrestler, died, and he spent the time since trying to figure out how he could still be a horseman. He calls Mongo, Benoit, and Malenko down. Uh, then he starts to kind of like, uh, kind of places individual accolades upon them. Now, I will say, you know, as we're kind of running down this segment, we are not going to do any justice to how good this was. I'm pretty sure it's in its entirety on YouTube. So just go look it up. It's fucking sensational. Um, He says that there's a finer wrestler in this land than Chris Benoit. He doesn't know who it is. Then he turns to Mongo. And I love this. (laughs) Nothing about his wrestling ability. He said he's hard headed. Sometimes he's hard to be around, which I would well believe. But he's all pro and all man. Then he says, Malenko exemplifies what a horseman has always been. He says, he's, he, he says he, being Arn, he's done what everybody has asked. Arn, bring back the horseman. He says, it's fair to tell everybody he isn't going to be responsible for what happens next. They don't wear white hats. They ain't nice guys. WCW heads are going to roll. Be careful what you wish for, because now you have it. And then he does like the most iconic mm-hmm. part of this whole thing. Oh, what a goof. He gets accused of being racked in the head. Little touch of Alzheimer's. He almost forgot the Ford Horseman. Ric Flair, get on down here. And at this point, Lee, people are just throwing their babies in the air. Oh, it's like pandemonium in the fucking arena at this stage. (laughs) Yeah. Like, because... It's like height of Beatlemania kind of freak out. It's like they they play it up so well that JJ is there. Aaron is the first one that comes out. And it's Aaron putting together this team. Yeah. So when there's the four of them and JJ in the ring, you're like, well, well, that's the four horsemen. Yeah. And the, <sighs> and and it's that, and everyone knows it's not. Like everyone yeah. knows Flair is there, but yeah. it's that little moment where you're like, well, maybe this is the the horseman. Yeah. And then yeah, like you say, he just screams, "Rick Flair, get on down here!" and the place goes fucking mental. 
So Ric Flair comes out and he's already in tears. Oh. You know, Rick is a man who wears his heart on his sleeve. Like, you know, I don't know how many times I've seen that man cry. Do, do you know what? <laughs> it, it, it's almost a meme at this stage to see Ric Flair yeah. cry. And like, it's the, the man had been true, has been true so much in the last yeah. couple of years. And that yeah. look, I'll never fucking slag him off for crying. Yeah. But like this, this moment, this had to be so emotional for him. Like the yeah. company had tried to fucking sue him. Yeah. And to get it, that reaction from the fans, it yeah, just had to be overwhelming. This was probably the third time that somebody in charge of WCW had tried to effectively end his career. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're not that many years removed from fucking Spartacus, like. Um, so, yeah, he has been through the ringer already. So, like, this ovation, he's already in tears. Uh, pyro and Ballyhoo for him. He comes out, he's in the ring. He emotionally embraces every single one of them. Uh, Aaron, with a really nice touch, says, Greenville, I give you the champ. And like at this point, Flair is bawling. Mm-hmm. Even it cuts to JJ at one point and you can see his, his he, eyes behind are his glasses. Well. Yeah, you can see it. Yeah. The crowd is just going crazy. He said he's almost embarrassed by the response, but in hearing it, 25 years uh, was worth it for something like this. He said someone told him the horsemen were having a party. Bishop said they were dead, but they're back. He said this is his one shot to say this. He said these aren't great TV moments. These are real. So he's like just absolutely Mm -hmm. shredding Bishop on the mic. He says Arn is one of the greatest performers to ever live. Here, here, Rick. And Bishop squashed him in one night and then told Flair to disband the horsemen. And And one thing I I love that little mention, the little mention of when Arn passed the torch and Sting yeah. was in the back with tears in his eyes. Yeah. And that'll tell you how much Aaron meant to people. Like, Yeah. Uh, and just this, like, him repeatedly hitting on, it was real, yeah. you know? And one of the many things, I, I don't know if I had noticed this before in the amount of times I've seen this segment, but at one point, Flair promos so hard, his mouth starts bleeding. What? Like, what? Yeah, he, like, he must have bitten his tongue or something like this because he is bleeding in his mouth. Like for the last minute or so of this, rewatch it. It was the it, it was maybe I've only noticed now because it's the first time I've watched it like in full HD on the on the network stream. But uh, yeah, there's like a bit of blood in his mouth at the end of this. So like that is that is a hardcore promo. That <laughs> he like he basically gigged for it. <laughs> um, Bischoff is out now. Flair calls him an asshole <laughs> and just starts yelling abuse of power. Adam calls him a liar. Uh, and Bischoff says he'll never wrestle again. And then to get the ultimate pop off the crowd, Flair that says that Bischoff is a no good son of a bitch. And fire me. I'm already fired. Fire me. I'm already fired. <laughs> this Lee. Perfection. Ah, oh, th- this segment from start to fucking finish is amazing because you get the iron entrance, then you get the other three lads, then you get the big flare moment, then you get the big flare promo. And they build to they're, they're ultimately building to Flair Bischoff and that's fine but it's just it hits all the right notes and it had been built and built and like you said mm. it's just building that tension over the night and they were like they're mentioning Rick Flair you know he's there but they still build and build and build till the very last second that when he yeah. does come out it's just fucking like I said pandemonium yeah oh god I loved it so much um, and you can see how perfect it was because when it comes back from the break, um, Tony and Larry are like genuinely emotional. Tony, Tony and Bobby. Seen. Sorry. Oh, Tony and Bobby. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. 
Tony and Bobby are like they're just they're they're quiet. You yeah. know, you know that's properly gotten to them when they're quiet. I, I think Bob, Bobby mentions he's like you were here from the start. Yeah, and he and Tony says that he's like I I saw them in 1986. Yeah, and he said like to be here tonight. He's like this is the greatest moments in in Nitro history. Yeah, it's incredible. Really good selling of that. Um, they call Diamond Dallas Page out to the table for the main event. They review stills of War Games first, uh, and it's weird because like Bobby is just awkwardly standing in mm-hmm. the background. <laughs> Um, and DDP says he's going to hang out and scout the main event. Uh, we get a Halloween, Halloween Havoc promo, and then it's time for the main event, and Bruce Buffer's here. Bruce? Michael? Oh, Mike, yeah, sorry, not Bruce. Bruce is the good one. Michael Buffer <laughs> is here. This is because I, I, I get confused because I was looking up, right? So firstly, I wrote here, Buffer, what the fuck, money to burn, because I forget that he was on Nitro all the time as well. And I was trying to look up like how much he charges versus how much Bruce charges, which I couldn't find. But uh, I did find a couple of numbers for how much Michael Buffer charges per appearance. Now, Bischoff has always said, um, or at least said in a bunch of interviews, that they were paying him five grand a pop. Not a hope. Right. Um, and he, in one particular bit I read, he was saying that that's why we'd get him to do a couple of matches sometimes, because if we're going to pay him five grand, we're going to get our money's worth. But people have looked up, and it seems that his going rate per appearance is closer to 25,000. Mm. Um, what I understand from, from what I've read is, like, if he's going to say, let's get ready to rumble, is 25 grand. <laughs> so, like, maybe it's five grand just to have him. But if he's going to do the bit it, it's going to be 25 because Jeremy like he is like very litigious about people yeah. using let's get ready to rumble that aren't him so yeah 25 I, grand they've they've burned 50 grand on this man in 24 hours I wonder is uh, is Michael Buffer now like Bart in the uh, Simpsons episode where everyone's just looking at him saying say the lion yeah <laughs> he's the I didn't do it yet yeah, yeah. Um, the entrances during which we have like we, we've always pointed out this show like what a, particularly when we reviewed that WWE Untold documentary DDP much as he's done so much good for the business you know he got Jake back on the straight and narrow you know the, the rehab he did with Scott Hall and you know a bunch of other people and the DDP yoga and like he's been a tremendous force of good in that respect in the business but also what a carny <laughs> and a man who has never stalled in trying to take credit for things um, and something he immediately wanted to point out to people during the entrances here was that um, he, he knew Goldberg going back to the power plant and personally he wanted to bring Goldberg in even earlier so I love him trying to get the rub of being like oh well I discovered Goldberg before any of you had ever heard of him well I, I think it wasn't a Shivani that brings up he's like oh well aren't you the guy that got Goldberg into the into the power plant yeah. and he's like oh, oh well he's look absolutely. I wanted to bring him in sooner and yeah it's great now to be fair love that, that's a story that other people have told as well that they yeah. all went to the strip club in Atlanta mm. where Goldberg I think was down the door and then yeah. he also worked out at Luger and Sting's gym yeah and they all like pestered him for fucking months yeah but th- this is the thing as well that like it's not like you spotted this guy that no one else could have seen the talent in Goldberg. Like, you look at Bill Goldberg if you have a mind for wrestling and you see money. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's not that hard looking at that guy to see his potential, you know? Um, but yeah, God bless DDP <laughs> for just wanting to make sure that's very clear with people. 
Um, yeah, so Goldberg versus Sting is our main event. Um, Goldberg slams Sting pretty much straight away in this match, but uh, Sting dodges the corner charge and does a running power slam into the corner to suplex, but Goldberg pops straight up. Sting goes to the outside, frustrated with this. Um, I really didn't like like the first half of this match because I'm just like well firstly we're still annoyed for the reasons we specified on the last show about this being on 24 hours notice and how much money they were just throwing in the fire with this but like I know you're putting over Goldberg strong and he's the big guy but like in this first few minutes it's like he Sting just looked like a guy oh yeah Sting is just made to look like a fucking like literally nothing he's doing to Goldberg is is leaving any effect and I mean right that's fine if it's fucking the British Bulldog yeah but Sting Sting is supposed to be one of your fucking main guys like he is the the franchise Sting is the franchise yeah yeah. and it's really it's a really bad look like I mean I get it Goldberg's your world champion he's undefeated but here's the other thing don't book the fucking match. Yeah, you didn't have to. Could have been against anybody else on the roster and people still would have loved him squashing somebody. Especially when we see the finish. You had yeah. no fucking... You did not have to book this match at all. Yeah. There is a point towards the end where it starts getting a bit interesting. So you have Goldberg um, going for a tombstone. Sting reverses it into one of his own. And this is the first time you see Goldberg actually struggling and selling. So he actually needs the ropes to help him back up to his Mm -hmm. feet. And as he gets up, Sting hits one splash to the back, another to his front. And I I loved this moment because, like, the crowd are like, oh, shit, you know? Um, And you don't get that in a lot of Goldberg matches. There's not a moment of peril. But there was a moment here where the crowd are like, oh, fuck. You know, is he going to do it? Like, when you see the guy hit the multiple finishes, you're like, hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, Goldberg then refuses to come out of the corner. Like, he's holding on and like, nope. Uh, so Sting just hits another and then goes for a fourth. But Goldberg charges out at him, uh, to try and attempt the spear. But Sting dodges and Goldberg goes into the post. Goldberg is now dazed and Sting hits one of our favorite moves, a chop block. And then goes for the death lock. Um, and the common, the commentary is losing their minds. Um... Goldberg is struggling and struggling and it just seems like multiple times he's going to power out of it very easily but it, it kind of like he's a little bit too awkward to sell it the way I think they were trying to but it's like every time he struggles Sting is able to get it in deeper um, and that that idea itself is cool I have to uh, um, I kind of I did like that the fact that I wasn't locked in properly mm. and it did seem like a real struggle I thought that yeah. kind of added to it yeah yeah like what I mean is there's a couple of moments where his his leg kind of like is out of position a bit Mm. um but uh, yeah I do love the idea that he struggles but Sting takes the opportunity of the struggle to cinch it in uh even more and then as you say we get the bullshit Hogan comes out and then he's in the ring he stomps on Sting and I like I know like the blind referee trope but oh my god (laughs) He literally steps over the referee to kick Sting in the head. Yeah. <laughs> As the ref is looking at Sting. Yep. So somehow we have to believe that Sting didn't see this. Hogan gets out of the ring and hides behind the apron. Goldberg is up, hits the spear, the jackhammer, the win. Like, honestly, at this point, why not just have the DQ? You won't hear me often 
asking for a fuck finish, like a DQ because they, in the they, main they event. can't blemish Goldberg's record. Well, this but, is it. But here's like, the other thing: they didn't have to book yeah. the match. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we we just come back to that, don't we? Um, Hogan immediately jumps Goldberg at the bell, but Brett limps out and chases Hogan off. Goldberg helps Sting up as we go off the air. So the only person that's seen to get like the better of ja- of uh, Goldberg is Hogan. Because uh, reasons. Just, yeah. And Sting is just a fucking afterthought and he is the, the dead body that um, has to be lifted up off the floor at the end of this. Um, a really bad end. Like, it, it feels like, I know Goldberg's your world champion, but in terms of how the segment's played out in front of the crowd, the Horseman thing really should have been the main event. Oh yeah, like the Horseman... The horseman thing would have been a real feel-good ending. Yeah. The horseman either should have been the main event or it should have been much earlier because you're not going to be able to follow Flair in the Carolinas. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, it feels like the the match really didn't have a hope of being as 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 compelling or as heated as that previous segment. And as well, I I thought DDP was abysmal on commentary. Oh, God, awful. God, awful. They're talking, they're talking about submissions at one point and he says, you know, I'm not a submission wrestler. I'm a bang wrestler and then he goes on to talk about him working on submissions and he very nearly name dropped a bunch of WWF guys and stops himself where he goes like you know what we're working out with I better not say who <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah um, what did you think of the match Lee and the show overall uh, fucking like the, the match itself was just so bad in the fact that Sting is made to look shy for like you said the first half Goldberg then struggles and needs Hogan's help to keep his win streak alive um, like it's just he didn't have to book it and that's the most frustrating thing like they took any shine they would have had on Sting away from him Hogan is the only one that comes out looking like a fucking anyway smart Goldberg looks cheap for using Hogan's uh, interference to to maintain his streak and for whatever reason Brett is just accepted as being one of the good guys now mm. yeah there <laughs> like it just again and I keep saying it because it's just it's the main thing they didn't have to book it and they didn't they booked themselves into a fucking corner and at the end of the day why not just have Sting take a clean fucking loss if that's the case or as you keep saying, why not book? Why not not book the match? Yeah. Like if if you want to try and protect Sting, fine, don't do the match. If not, just do a fucking clean finish. Then you can do your shenanigans with Hogan coming out and getting chased off by Bear. Yeah, there's a whole roster full of people he could have beaten like a drum, and you could have held off the Sting match for whenever, you yeah. know. And there's a whole lot of guys who are you know not necessarily the caliber of star of Sting, but they'd be names that it's not nobody he beat. Um. But fuck it, like what? It's WCW. What the fuck, like? <laughs> when I haven't beat Steve Gray, there you go. Yeah, ah, oh, yeah. So, as we said, there were some highlights on this show, Lee. You know, I love my big mobile stiff match. I think the cruiserweight title match was really, mm-hmm. really good television wrestling, and the uh, the the horseman match in particular, or the, not the horseman match, but the horseman segment was terrific. Yeah. Um, but uh, mired in a lot of. The WCW tropes that unfortunately are going nowhere. Look, as a three-hour show, I think it was better than Fall Brawl. Yeah. 
Fall Brawl only had the one bright spot, whereas this had, like I said, like the aftermath of the Saturn match. It had mm-hmm. the, the Horseman segment, the Cruiserweight title match. That's three, mm-hmm. like three very, very good segments. Yeah. But again, spaced out over two and a half hours, it's not going to leave a, a nice impression. Like you'll remember them, but ultimately you'll also go, well, that show was a bit shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who are your winners and losers from from this episode of Nitro, my friend? Oh, Ric Flair and the Horseman. There, there is yeah. no possible other outcome for that. Um, loser, mm-hmm. Goldberg. Goldberg looks like a fucking chud. Yeah. H- Hogan got the better of him. Yeah. And he's not even heading into a feud with Hogan. <laughs> and Hogan isn't heading into a feud with him. And like, it was just... Why, why, made why no did sense. DDP just sit there and let all that happen? Yeah. This made absolutely no sense. It, it's oh, fucking like they just overcomplicate like, everything, and there's no yeah. need. Like even having if you if you didn't want Sting to lose clean, you wanted like him to get fucked so that Goldberg would win. You could have had DDP cost him because it's like DDP <clears throat> wants to face Goldberg and he wants to be the one mm-hmm. to take the streak, and he can't. You know, much as him and Sting have a respect for each other, he can't abide someone else getting to it first. There's so many stories you could tell, but it's again. One of the things that com- brings WCW crashing down is that you have a main event schmoz to appease the ego of one man. And again, the cat got arrested earlier on in the show for interfering in a match. And Hogan just does it. Yeah. And gets away scot-free. Um, yeah. Our, our finish counter brought to you by Ludwig Borger. We had uh, seven matches on this show with five clean finishes, one DQ or counter, and one interference leading directly to a finish. Um, yeah, not the not the best Nitro, but there were, like you said, some stuff. Um, there was some stuff on it that, that was easy to, p- to pick out as highlights. And yeah, a more digestible show than Fall Brawl. I was able to get through it in, in fewer sittings. Um it kind of flew by by comparison to Fall Brawl, which felt like I was never going to get to the end of it at certain points. Um, but uh, yeah, that that's going to do it for another episode of uh, Knights of Nitro. Um, as we had kind of said, we're in we're in the midst of a streak of a few podcasts, uh, three weeks straight. So last week we had Fall Brawl. So check that one out if you hadn't uh, listened to it before. And next week we're just going to be straight back in on our regular night with uh, another episode of Thunder. So uh, until then, we shall see you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone, for downloading another episode of Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder is produced by Lee Malone and edited by myself, Dave Ryan, and available every second Thursday night wherever good podcasts are sold. You can follow Days of Thunder on Twitter or Instagram, where we love to hear from our listeners, about all things wrestling and beer. We're at WCW Thunderpod on both platforms. I'm at the day to Dave on Twitter, and Lee is at Malone underscore 713. This has been a production of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe there for a veritable feast of podcasting content, from wrestling of the past, like the Worldcast, through the years in the International House of Combat, to wrestling of the present, with Boom Goes the Dynamite and Strong Style Story, and something a little bit different, with Gideon Guys, Yours, Mine, and the Truth, and Busting Balls. Subscribe now, you won't be disappointed. Thanks. I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart. I can see through the scars inside you I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart I can see through the scars